Today I'm going to continue on with the sermon series, and last week we had a great message from Pastor John. Did we not? Come on. El Lemo. That's my Spanish for today. It was a great message. Come on. <laughs> Applause for Pastor John. <laughs> I know it's about forgiveness. Those are the tough ones, but those are the things we need to hear. That's why we preach, not to tell you what you want to hear, to tell you what you need to hear. And so this morning, I want to go a little bit deeper, and not to say deeper in any weird sense of the word, but oftentimes when we think about Christianity and the core of what it is, words like forgiveness come to mind, also words like love come to mind. However, the true essence, the core of Christianity, it is not love. And it is not forgiveness. It is wrapped up in a whole other word, and that word is the word grace. Today, this morning, I want to talk to you about the grace of God. It is a fundamental aspect of the Christian life. And why? Because when the Bible speaks of Jesus coming and everything that he did to save you and I, it has to do with the word grace, meaning God gave us something that we were not looking for, that we did not deserve, that we could never earn on our own, and the person who paid the price for it was God himself through his one and only son, Jesus. I don't know about you, but it's the deal of eternity, and I am so glad that I chose to receive that in my life. Because without Jesus, I would just be a sinner steeped in all kinds of issues, sins, depressions, you name it. But because one day in my life, the grace of Jesus smashed me in the face, so to speak, I became a new creation. And because of that grace, I am who I am today because of that grace. I know that no matter what happens in life, through thick and thin, high and low, storms and good times, the grace of Jesus will bring me all the way home. This morning, if you have your Bibles with you, let's look in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 7, verses 36 through 38. We're going to step into the ministry of Jesus in just a moment, but before I do it, I want to sketch for you a little bit of the cultural climate in the time of Jesus. There were four different groups, aside from the Roman occupiers, that were in Israel at that time. You had people that were called the Zealots. They were people who believed that by creating their own little militia, they would eventually deliver their people from the power of Rome. Their power was in the sword. Their power was in their aggression. Their power was in grabbing their cronies, creating a great little group that could just destroy people in a second. That's where they believed that the kingdom of God would manifest itself. Then there was another group. These people were called the Essenes. These people were seeing demons and angels everywhere and galactic battles left and right. I mean, if you think Star Wars is hard to follow, reading the writings of these people, you can't even understand 10 seconds of it. And they hid themselves as a community. 
They took ritual baths every day. They wore special clothes. They buried scrolls inside of mountains, the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they believed by being a separate little overly spiritual community that that's what the kingdom of God looked like. And then there was another group, the Pharisees. They were the reformers of Judaism that took the Jewish people out of captivity where there was no temple and no sacrifices were available. And they taught them how to live out the Jewish life with all kinds of rules and regulations. And they believed that by following the letter of the law, that that's what the kingdom of God was. Then you had the Sadducees. They were people, oh yes, they knew the Bible. They knew how to write it from beginning to end. They could make the scrolls themselves. They could tell you every single dot and iota of everything, but yet they didn't really have the spirit of what it was all about. But they believed that even in their structured and dry way of looking at the kingdom of God, that that's what the kingdom of God looked like. But see, the kingdom of God looked very different. Jesus showed up fulfilling 333 prophecies of the Old Testament, and it smacked them in the face, and they still did not understand that the Messiah was among them. They were waiting for a king on a horse to split the sky. But he came lowly riding on a donkey. He died a horrible death on a cross. He was buried and resurrected from the dead and they were getting all nervous. Who's gonna rip out their sword? Who's gonna follow the letter of the law? Who's gonna be the dry bones that doesn't believe in resurrection? Who is gonna be the person that hides us all in a bunch of caves so that we can have visions and dreams and all kinds of stuff, but yet, in the story in Luke 7, 36 through 38, we see that the kingdom of God comes to a woman steeped in sexual sin, full of sorrow, and ready to give all that she is and all that she has to Jesus in the right way. Luke 7, 36 through 38. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come to his home for lunch, and Jesus accepted the invitation. They sat down to eat. A woman of the streets, a prostitute, heard he was there and brought an exquisite flask filled with expensive perfume. Going in, she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping with her tears falling down upon his feet. And she wiped them off with her hair and kissed them and poured the perfume on them. This woman knew that if she could just get to Jesus, if she could just get to Jesus, many other people in the scripture, they were getting to Jesus, but they wanted something from him. They wanted healing. They wanted a theological answer from him. This woman wanted grace. She wanted something that no one else was willing to offer her at that time. And Jesus, he gave it in abundance. 
This woman poured expensive oil on the feet of Jesus and the fragrance of the oil began to permeate and fill the room. But beyond that, the very sobbing of the woman at the feet of Jesus, her desperate cry also filled the room. The grace of Jesus also filled that room. But there were those in that room that didn't understand this grace. They didn't understand that you could get something that you didn't deserve. You could earn something you never worked for. They didn't know what this was all about. And so they began to respond as the perfume is filling the room, as the grace of Jesus is filling the room, as her sobs are filling their ears. These people are looking, and how do they respond? Master. You could have taken that oil and sold it and given all the money to the poor. It's a waste what she's doing. Jesus, Jesus, do you understand what kind of woman this is? Do you understand the kind of woman that is kneeling down at your feet? Do you know her reputation? Do you know her background? Thank God Jesus doesn't see things the way that we see them. Thank God Jesus doesn't hear things the way that we heard him. And thank God Jesus is fully Jesus. He's never intimidated. He said, no, this woman is doing what's right. When I walked in, you barely washed my feet, but yet this woman washes them with her tears and dries them with her hair. She is treating me like the best guest that's ever walked into a room, and she doesn't even live here. Grace is radical. Grace is a leveling factor in the midst of anything. And so this morning, I want to take us on a quick journey of what we need to do to get the grace of God in us again, to get the grace of God within the body of Christ here at Bethel in the United States. I mean, I'll die doing this. See, much like this prostitute fled toward Jesus, not away from him, The worse a person felt about herself, the more likely she saw Jesus as a refuge. And so the question I pose to you this morning before I get on any factor of this topic, has the church lost that gift? Has the church lost the gift of grace? That's a question we should all be asking ourselves. That's a question that's going to require that we dig in pretty quickly into the Word of God and ask ourselves this morning some hard questions about who we are, about how we seek God or the lack thereof, and what is He doing in our hearts and in our lives, and what are we in turn doing for those around us that need Him. The first area that I have to deal with this morning in order to get us to a point of overflowing with grace like Jesus did, in order to make us a place as a church body where we are seen as a refuge to a world that is hurt and lost and dying, is the first thing is we need to get rid of the ungrace in our life. What's ungrace? Ungrace is oftentimes the attitudes that we develop Attitudes we develop, whether we are believers or not, because if we're making it seem like Christians are judgmental, hello, have you ever been judged by people who aren't Christians? You're in trouble. We live in a whole world of cancel culture. God forbid you say or do anything that does not fit the prototype of a day and age or a certain day and age of now, back then, whatever. You are done. 
You are done. Your career's over. Your life is over. They will get rid of you. They will annihilate you publicly. You will never, ever be able to move forward in life. And then they talk about us being judgmental as Christians. Take a peek at yourself. But let me just say another thing. I'm not naive. I grew up in the church. I've seen every kind of judgment. I've heard every kind of judgment imaginable. Did you hear what this one said? Did you see what that one did? Did you hear? We have become, to a certain degree, a group of self-righteous individuals. We think we know it all, and we think that we have all the answers. But sometimes the more we think we can see, we need to realize that we are becoming blind. Why? Because if I needed grace on the day that I got saved, I still need that grace today. There is nothing different about me than the average person out there on the street. There is nothing different about me than the worst sinner in the eyes of humanity. We are all sinful. We have all done what's wrong in the eyes of God. But thank God for Jesus that he came, that he paid a price for our sin no one would pay, and he gave us love and mercy and grace. But ungrace, that can permeate the atmosphere. Like the comments of the disciples of Jesus who thought that they knew it all. Like the comment of the Pharisee that thought that he knew it all. They all thought that they knew what the kingdom of heaven looked like. But this woman showed us that they didn't know grace. All they knew was ungrace in their life. Hebrews 12, 15 warns us about this kind of idea of ungrace. It says, look after each other so that no one of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. There are many people within the body of Christ or the church, quote unquote, but they have come to sit on a moral high horse. They think they're better than everyone else. They think they know how to talk better, pray better, act better than other people. They seem like they've got their whole act together. But most of those people are a bitter pill. Come on. I call them all the time, sad in the Lord, depressed in Jesus, unfilled with the Holy Spirit. And they'll walk about as if they're Christians, and the only ministry they have, they call it discernment, but really all they're doing is judging people from morning till night. They've got an issue with everyone and everything, from a light to a pew to a person to a ministry, you name it, no one does right by them. And when you begin to get like that as a believer, that's when you know that ungrace has crept into your heart. When you are unable to love beyond the faults and imperfections of another, where you are unable to forgive, as Pastor John explained to us last week, that forgiveness is more than I'm sorry. It is changing the way that you do things. When we learn that the grace of God can help us and bring us beyond that, ungrace begins to melt away. Ungrace does its work quiet and lethally, like a poisonous 
undetectable gas. A father dies unforgiven. A mother who once carried a child in her own body does not speak to that child for the rest or for half of its life. The toxin steals on from generation to generation. Do you know that that's the enemy's favorite tactic? If he can make you unforgiving and bitter and unloving and ungracious in life, he has won. Well, how does that work? When I'm being gracious toward people and they don't change, when I'm being gracious toward people and they are undeserving, am I giving them a get-out-of-jail-free card? No. God holds the person accountable for who they are, but you stand accountable before God as to how you treat others. Even in my own life, I've had the opportunity to be ungracious. As many of you know, I was not treated properly by one of my parents from before I was born for most of my life. And when I was invited to what others did not realize was a deathbed and I stood there and talked to him, he thought that the goal of the conversation would be to bring up the lack of being a good parent and bring up the years that were missed and I said to him, we can no longer do anything about all of that. I just want you to know, mistakes and all, I love you. That's all I have to say. Because to offer him the ability to die in peace. See, people, that's what it's about. It's the ability to stand in moments, not in your own strength, but with the strength of the Lord. I can write books about my whole life. I can talk about how I can be a bitter pill, how I can never forgive anyone. I can walk around with a chip on my shoulder, but no, I can't. Why? Because Jesus offered me something that I could not get on my own. He offered me a love that no other human being could ever offer. And his love lifted me and it freed me and it gives me the ability when I want to be a stinking, stubborn resentful, bitter pill, he gives me all that I need. All that I need to show his love and his mercy and his grace even on those who are undeserving. My prayer is that the Lord would remove the ungrace from our heart like a root in the ground that needs to be pulled up. Let him pull up roots in your heart this morning. Let them pull out roots in your mind and roots that are in your ears and in your eyes that keep you from hearing and seeing and thinking and feeling the way that Jesus does about a world that needs him. But what do we need as the remedy to this ungrace? We need a lot of grace. We need God's grace, I believe, more than ever before to counteract the radicalization of our society, to counteract the polarization of our society. We need grace. We need a lot of it. We need a lot of grace when you and I daily are being called to judgment on others. We need grace for a world that is lost and broken without him. 2 Timothy 1.9 describes this grace. It says, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. 
the grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. God's work has always been about grace. Before God created us, he knew you and I would mess it up. We can point the finger to Adam and Eve. Stop blaming them. Stop blaming them. If you were them, I would have I done worse than what they did. Eve ate the apple. I would have I probably eaten it before she did. Come on, let's be real with one another. We are human beings. We are broken without him. We think we know better. We think we can plan and plot and do all kinds of things. We put all these limitations on things, and we, we don't serve these false gods. We have made ourselves to be God in place of God. We stand in judgment over people and things, feeling as if we know what's right. But the grace of God speaks beyond all of those things. Grace teaches us that God loves us because of who God is, not because of who we are. See, it's about him. When grace comes from him, that is real grace. I know Christians, and Pastor Noah said it in a better way, you know, we want to fake it till we make it. So there are many Christians who go through things. They go through hard times. How you doing? Everything's great. Praise the Lord. I'm dying inside. Hey, how you doing today? Bless the Lord. Amen. His word is powerful. Oh my gosh, I'm so depressed after service. I think I'm going to bring an end to it. If you don't think these are real things, they are. People go through real things. As believers, it is not about being good little boys and girls. I constantly, I love kids' church and youth group, but I constantly remind my children that serving Jesus is not about being bad or good. It is about receiving his grace into your life. It is about him forgiving you of the unforgivable. It is about him taking away the sinful nature that every single one of us have as human beings. A little bit of a revelation. We all poop and it all stinks. Come on. Meaning we all sin. And it's all bad. We try to make levels and degrees and separations. We try to point out who's better than another. But Jesus leveled the playing field. When Jesus died for once and for all, no matter what their sin was or their background, Jesus paid it all. Thank God. Like David cried out in the Old Testament, Lord, if you mark our transgressions, who would stand? Who could stand? Who could stand here? Who is without sin in this room? Not any one of us. But thank God for Jesus. That grace, let it wash over you. Be like that woman at the feet of Jesus again. Be willing to let his grace wash over you. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful that grace is not one incidental moment in my life. Many people like to point back, you know, oh, I got saved then and then. I came to know Jesus and I felt his grace and it was 30 years ago, 50 years ago, 80 years ago. I don't care if it was 2,000 years ago. If you were actually at Calvary, 
Because there are people that are Christians that act like that. They act like they were at Calvary. Well, if you were at Calvary and you saw the love in Jesus that when they mocked at him and they spit him and they criticized him and they beat him and whipped him and he could still say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, then you would be a much better Christian than the way you're acting right now. Because you would understand the power of that grace. You would understand that it is anything but cheap. And because of it, you are willing to give it out freely. And so this draws me to the last thing. As he gets rid of ungrace by pouring in more grace, we need a healing to happen. We need a healing. Our church needs a healing. Our country needs a healing. Our world needs a healing. We need grace-healed eyes. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9 As Paul speaks to the church, he shows them a few different things. I'll walk you through that in a moment. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Can we stop there for a moment? I always hear my wife when I'm reading Paul. What is this guy saying? He uses a lot of words to get to one point. And what he's saying is, remember who you were. Remember who you were before Jesus stepped into the picture of your life. Remember who you were before mercy and grace found you messed up in your sin. Remember who you were. Not to live in guilt and in condemnation, but to remember and realize grace. Grace was applied to your life like never before. And so the Bible goes on, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I love the progression that Paul takes us on here. He first says, remember where you came from, you snot noses. You little SOPs, son of a preacher. You can laugh at that one. I know you've all said worse. Remember where you came from. Because when you know where you came from, you remember the grace that needed to be applied to get you to the place that you are now. 
And if you've forgotten where you are now, you are raised with Christ. You are seated with him above all of these things. That is why we can get prophecies like we did this morning that tell us not to fear, that tell us to stand and realize who we are. Because when you live from God's perspective, it changes how you view everyone and everything around you. See, when you act small and you think small, you'll stay small. Come on. I've heard a lot of small people in my life. I, too, have acted small. But I serve a big God. I serve a God who is more than able, who sees the bigger picture, whose eyes are not blind, whose ears are not deaf, whose understanding is so much better than mine, but yet he chooses to act and react in grace no matter what. And that grace, we need it today. All of us in the church need grace-healed eyes to see the potential in others for the same grace that God so lavishly bestowed upon us. And so this morning in closing, I have a question for you. I started with the question. I'm gonna end with one. Do you know God's grace? And I'm not talking about 30 years ago. I'm not talking about way back when. Do you know his grace today? Have you ever experienced the grace and love of Jesus just washing over you? And as a believer, if you've ever experienced this, when is the last time that you went through the car wash of God's love? That you went through the car wash of God's grace for your life, for your heart and for your mind? Then you can love boldly, then you can live robustly. You can swing from trapeze to trapeze. His safety net will break your fall. Nothing fosters courage like a clear grasp of the grace of God. Do you want to live without fear? Do you want to live with this kind of bold security that you're a child of God? Let grace touch your heart. Let grace fill your eyes again and let it touch your ears and your mind. Let it change the way that you look at yourself, that you look at others. Let grace be seasoned in every aspect of your life. Why? Because the world is not looking for us as the church to become a bunch of militant Christians. The world is not looking for us as the church to be heavenly minded and no earthly good. The world is not looking for us as believers to be a bunch of legalists that bring out the law code with everything people do. The world is not looking for us to always know what the Bible says in Greek and Hebrew. What the world is looking for is that Christians can act like the prostitute that were at the feet of Jesus, that they know that we love him and that he loves us. And when they see that in our lives, they begin to rush and come to his feet. Where do I want to be found? Not on a moral high horse. Not on a throne, not behind a desk. I want to be found at the feet of Jesus. Do you want to be found at the feet 
of Jesus. As we close this morning with every head bowed and eye closed, if you're watching online, you don't have to close anything. You can keep looking, especially if you're driving. But right now in this moment, God is giving grace. The message is meant to give you that grace. And so if you personally have never experienced the grace of God in your life through Jesus, meaning the following, that right now maybe you feel like the worst sinner the world has ever known, but yet you believe that Jesus died to forgive you. Right now he wants to give you that grace. If you are here this morning or watching online and you need that grace, if you're here with us, if you could just lift up your hand for me to say, Pastor, I need that grace. I need that grace in my life. Is there anyone else this morning? I need grace in my life. I need grace. Yes, 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 yes. I need grace in my life. Lord, pour out your grace on these people this morning. Pour out your grace and your mercy. Let them know that they are loved like that woman that sobbed at your feet, that poured out the costly oil on your feet. We're gonna take a moment and we're gonna allow you to apply your grace. Let the fragrance of your grace just fill their hearts and fill their lives. Lord, touch them. Let them know that your love is just so amazing. That your grace can clean up any sin. That your grace can clean up any mistake. And that you're more than enough. Lord, I pray for those this morning that have allowed ungrace to enter into their existence as a Christian. And for a moment, I'm not gonna pray, I'm gonna jump out of praying for a second here. But I went to a home church where my pastor one time, he talked about being a Pharisee. Yeah, the people in Jesus' time, the legalists, they, be, they were the bitter pills. And at the end of the message, and not to say that this applies to my wife, but his wife is the first one who stood up. That's the kind of church I come from, that we are willing to confront the things in our life unashamedly because we believe that the grace of God is there too. If ungrace, bitterness, unforgiveness has taken hold inside of you, even as a believer, if you spend more time judging than applying grace, guess what? He wants to pour grace out on you too. He hasn't forgotten you. He doesn't wanna leave you all bitter. He doesn't wanna leave you all cold and shallow. He wants to fill you with life. And so this morning I ask you, and this is a bold ask this morning, but I have to do it. If you have let ungrace get the best of you, but you want grace to fill your heart again as a believer, I ask you to stand where you are. If you can sit on a moral high horse, you can stand up in a service. Lord, pour out grace. Lord, this is a tough altar call. But Lord, I know that you're doing this for a reason. Lord, pour out grace. Let us see you the way that you desire to be seen. Let us feel love and mercy and grace all over again. Lord, you know the reasons why we built these walls around our heart. You know these reasons why our love has grown cold. Lord, you know the reasons why ungrace 
It's just become the default setting. Lord, pour out grace on my life today. Let me encounter that grace all over again and again and again. Lord, as I finish saying in the sermon that we need grace-healed eyes, I pray that people's eyes would be healed today, that they would stop seeing with human eyes, but that they would see with yours. Lord, I pray for those that their ears would hear the things that you hear, that their hearts and thoughts would respond in the way that you respond. Pour out grace in this service today. I kindly ask that the altar team make their way to the front this morning. If you need prayer for anything as we round off, it's now time to conclude the service. We are here to pray for you this morning because grace applies to all areas. If you need healing, there's grace to heal. You need breakthrough, there's grace for that breakthrough. And we wanna pray you through to the breakthrough this morning. Pastor Noah is gonna lead us in one last song. It's an oldie, but goodie, amazing grace. If we could stand with one another as we conclude the service today. If you need prayer for anything, make your way to these altars. Jesus is here. His grace is enough.